again in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Beginning in verse 1, John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. That means he takes care of the vine, he's the caretaker of the vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. And it's one of the jobs of someone who takes care of the vine. We'll use the grapevine today for, for the purpose that it's intended here. Because that's the whole purpose of the vine, is to have fruit. The branches of the vine are supposed to bear fruit. You know, that's why do we grow any kind of a fruit tree? Not because we like the way the tree looks. We, we grow fruit trees because we want the fruit that it bears. And so that's the purpose of the branches is to bear fruit out of the vine, out of the, out of the trunk of the, and out of the root is to bear fruit. And so it says here that the father is the caretaker of the vine. And as a gardener and a caretaker of, of landscape myself, I can tell you that when you go into a, a tree, you take out any branches that are diseased and aren't, you know, they're not going to bear fruit, that are in bad shape. You want the good, healthy ones that are going to bear fruit, you know. And the ones that do bear fruit, you take and you prune them. Okay, well, why do you do that? You know, because if you prune a tree, it's going to be smaller. Well, that's right. The tree will be smaller, but the fruit will be larger and of better quality. And it will bear more fruit and less tree, which is the whole purpose. If you study... What you do to a grapevine uh, every winter is that you cut it back pretty severely. You take away a lot of the a lot of the branches are cut way back, and it's just the branches are stumped stumped pretty good, and a lot of it's trimmed away. Jesus is telling us for those of us who are in Him that bear fruit. He begins to prune us. Well, we need to prune us. Well, you have to kind of look at what we've been talking about with the natural example that Jesus gave us. That his purpose in calling us is to bear fruit. You know, just like the purpose of a vine is to bear grapes. That they can make wine with it and they can do other things with the fruit of the, of the vine. That's the whole, that's the purpose of the vine. So our purpose 
that God has called us to is to bear fruit. And so he takes us just like the vine gets gets pruned back. He does that to us. And that's what we're going to look at today. What is it what is it about? What is this pruning about? And why does he do that to us? What does pruning look like? We know what pruning looks like on a tree. You don't have you can you can get any book or go Google and see how how you know you prune a tree or a vine, but how does God prune us? What does that look like pruning us? I think of the words of John the Baptist when I think of this, where John the Baptist's disciples came to him and said, uh, Master, he says, uh, you know that uh, that man you said that would uh, is coming after you, that uh, he's going to baptize the Holy Spirit, he says, him and his disciples are baptizing now. And at the end of John the Baptist's answer, he says, he must increase and I must decrease. Of course, in John the Baptist's case, he was talking about that the ministry of John the Baptist was pretty much fulfilled. He was sent before Jesus to be a herald and, a, and, a, and to prepare the ministry of Jesus. But now that Jesus had come, now his ministry was to diminish. He ended up in prison, eventually was beheaded. And the death of John the Baptist. He must increase and I must decrease. The words of Paul says that I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and he gave himself for me. And so the purpose of this pruning is to bear more fruit. And so that we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and he gave himself for me. That we die daily. God is putting us through a process by which we change. We continue, as we continue to read this passage, we begin to understand a little bit what this pruning process does. In verse 4 he says, Abide in me, and I in you. The word abide, as I've said before, means to remain, to stay in. Uh, so, when we read the word abide, we understand it's not used that much anymore. It's an older word, uh, not used too much in the English language now. But the word abide means to stay or to remain in. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. If we walk in the flesh, and we don't abide in Christ, we're, we might do religious things, but we're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit that way. We can counterfeit it, but it's not real. It's not the real fruit. There is many bushes and trees that bear fruit that's not good. That's why when you tell your kids when they go into the woods, you go into the woods with them, 
don't eat anything before checking with me because some of this stuff might be poison. It might look like something that's edible, but it's not. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If we don't abide in Christ as... Jesus said earlier, we won't bear fruit, and if we don't bear fruit, it says the Father takes such branches away. And here it says they're cast, they wither, and they're cast in the fire, and they're burned. God's judgment to those who are in Him, who do not bear fruit. But we don't bear fruit of ourselves, it says. We must remain in Him, and through remaining in Christ, we bear His fruit. And that's the whole purpose that he's called us to. In verse 7 it says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. So this is a two-way street. Many people will say, well, I prayed for this and that, and God didn't do anything. Are you abiding in Him? Are we abiding in Him? Are we remaining in Him? Because we understand if we're remaining in Him that there are seasons of waiting and perseverance in faith before we, we are answered. It says if we abide in Him, we shall ask what we will and it will be done. In 1 John, it says that Uh, if we ask anything that we know will be done by him because excuse me one second and we whatever we ask we receive from him is because we can keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight and this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave commandment. Bearing fruit. We have a clear conscience. And if we have a clear conscience, we can come before Him with confidence, it says in that passage. So as we go back here in First John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, He says in verse 8, By this is my Father glorified or honored that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. This is evidence of a disciple of Jesus. Bearing his fruit, bearing much fruit, fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is the evidence of the Christian life. It is the evidence that we're in him. Not in perfection, but there's evidence that we're following Christ. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, every tree is known by its fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. He goes on to explain the whole thing. Say, so, well, what's the difference between a good tree and a bad tree? The fruit. 
But it says here that we can't bear fruit. Jesus said we can't do anything without Him. The only way that we can bear good fruit, the only way to become a good tree, is through coming to Him and remaining in Him, abiding in Him. And so, we as Christians can feel frustrated at times because we feel like Paul says in Romans chapter 7, you know, the things I want to do, I'm not doing. You know, is this, there's this conflict. Why is that? Where is this conflict coming from? And Paul points to exactly where it is. He says, there's another law that's warring in my members. That's the flesh. We're listening to the flesh. We're following the leading of the flesh instead of the spirit. If we follow the leading of the spirit, we'll be abiding in him. We'll bear good fruit. And God will be glorified. God will be honored. The Father will be. And that's the reason He calls us in Him, is to honor the Father. A people, a special people, that we should bring forth the praises of God. Verse 9 As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus' example of how He stayed in the Father's love is the example for us. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. This is one of the hardest things to embrace. Sometimes we know we're called to love people we don't want to. Say, I know God wants me to love this person, but really... I don't want to love them. When we say, I don't want to love them, what is that referring to? It's talking to me, I, the old man, the flesh. The flesh, our human nature, does not want to love those who do not love us. We naturally want to love those who love us, and are good to us, and are kind to us, and are a blessing to us. But what about those that are mean to us? What about our enemies? What about those who curse us, speak evil of us, because we follow Christ or whatever reason? Those who cheat us, steal from us, try to slander us, speak evil of our reputation, try to get in our way of what we, we want to do. You know... We can just go down the line and just keep going on and on. We naturally don't want to love. So you see why a pruning process is necessary. To get the big eye out of the way. I remember years ago, Paul Yoder taught about beware of the big eye. He says when sometimes... You hear people preaching, you hear people 
talking and you know and even in the church or in the world but you hear well I want to do this and what I want to do is that and I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that and what do you hear over and over again I I I I I I I but what about the will of God so the book of James says about the man who says well I'm going to go to this city, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do the other thing. And, the, and James says, such talk is arrogant. And he says, what we should say, if the Lord's will, today I will do this or that. God's will. And so God is in the process of cutting away self-will, Self, everything. Cut us away from our human nature so we can say with Paul, it is no longer I live, but Christ lives in us. In a real way, not just in a theoretical way, not just in a a spiritual sense, but in in a real sense that we're actually living that way. And that is the purpose of the loppers. The pruning shears. You know, a lot of times when I'm at work, I go to the grinding wheel and I sharpen those pruning shears. Make them really sharp. And then after I'm done sharpening them on the grinding wheel, then I get the file. I make it even a a sharp. And and it's like a a knife. It'll cut paper. When you're done, you have to watch you don't cut yourself. I have to wear leather gloves when I'm doing it because if your hand slips and you go into that blade, it's going to cut you good. It is a sharp blade. And then you go out and you cut so it's a clean, sharp cut. So because if it's not a sharp, clean cup and it's ragged, it's inviting disease. You go and you cut. And if you go back there to that cut a few months later, you begin to see a skin growing over it, a natural skin growing over it. It's a healing process. Because when something is pruned, it is you're wounded. When 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 a bu- when you're cutting you're pruning a tree or a bush, even if you're cutting away something diseased, still you're cutting a wound, just like if you cut the tip of your finger cut off. You know, it's a wound. It's gotta heal. And so, our Father in Heaven, in His love and His goodness and His foresight and His wisdom and His vision, takes the shears to us. And He allows wounds to come to us. But, as we read in Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. What do those wounds look like? What are they? How do I recognize them? Well, we'll go to the the Old Testament story of Nebuchadnezzar. We read it a few weeks ago, and I'll just summarize it. You remember when we talked about Nebuchadnezzar built a statue and he commanded everybody bow down to that statue? And if anybody wouldn't, he'd throw them in the furnace of fire. 
We remember that. And after that, we read that Nebuchadnezzar experienced a dream and, and D Daniel interpreted it for him. And it was a dream about how he would be humbled. And it happened to him. Because Nebuchadnezzar was full of himself. He's the most powerful man in the world. Ruled over many kingdoms. Very powerful. Beautiful kingdom. Wealthiest man in the world. And he was full of himself. And he was boastful. And one day, the, 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 the dream happened. He was taken away from men and he became like a beast. He lost his mind and said for seven times. doesn't say what seven times are. Seven hours, seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years. We don't know. But all we know is that he lost his mind for seven times, it says. And he, and he ate grass like an ox. And he was out in the field. He was a madman. And his kingdom was taken away from him until he was humbled. And after that, it says that God brought his senses back to him. He says, now I honor the God of Daniel. He went through a process where he had no respect for the God of Daniel until the place where he says now, and he, and he came to the place of recognizing that God puts the lowest of men over in, in charge of kingdoms. God had humbled him. We see Moses, a man, as we go to Hebrews chapter 11, in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, <coughs> I'm sorry, it wasn't Hebrews 11. It's uh, Acts chapter... Acts chapter 7. I looked there, but I found it wasn't there. It's actually Acts chapter 7, which I had... This is the testimony of Stephen before the Sanhedrin. Verse 23. Verse 22, I'm sorry. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, he came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him and was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brothers would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand and the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want do wrong to one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want me to ki do, you, do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? And then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. And when he was 40 years had passed, 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. The story of Moses was that 40 years he was the, the prince of Egypt. He was adopted as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. <clears throat> adopted as the grandson of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he thought that through his influence and power, somehow he would be able to bring deliverance to the children of Israel. And God was going to bring deliverance through Moses to the children of Israel, but it was not the way that Moses perceived. And so, after that, he killed the Egyptian, the slave master. He spent 40 years in the land of Midian as a shepherd for his father-in-law's sheep. And then after that, God was ready to use him. It says that Moses was humble more than any man on the earth later on. How did he become humble that way? Through 40 years of shepherding, of 40 years away, God did his what he needed to do to prepare Moses for what he called. 40 years after, he thought. And when God was ready to use him, he says, No, oh, no, not me, Lord, I can't do that. I don't have the ability. God says, Yeah, you are ready. And so God used Moses when he was ready. And God brought Moses through many things before he was ready. God is pruning us also. <clears throat> we see David, a deliverer of Israel from Goliath, the giant. <clears throat> he was anointed king of Israel. And then he walked right into the throne, right? Isn't that what the story says? No, it doesn't. He was anointed by Samuel, <clears throat> and then in a short period of time, he was running from his master, King Saul. His master was trying to murder him. And he spent several years on the run. Until finally, and if you read the story of David, it's exhausting to see everything he went through. It's like, oh my goodness, like, how could, you know, the things that he had to go through before he be actually sat on the throne. And, and finally, he became king. But there was a process. And God, in his wisdom, decided to bring David through. Until he was ready to be who God called him to be. Don't think that it's any different for us. God has things to prune away from us. The fruit of the flesh. If you look at the fruit of the flesh, we read about all kinds of things in Galatians 5. We talked about Self-will. Let's take it a, a step further. Some of them. Adultery. Immorality, fornication. Uncleanness, lewdness. 
idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, that's heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, so forth. Immorality, adultery, not only outwardly, but inwardly too. Hatred, not only outward hatred, but inward. Bad attitudes towards other. Carnal attitudes. That's not the heart of Christ. It's not the heart of God. So when we're in the wrong direction and our heart's in the wrong place and we're acting all the things that our heart's wrong in in the wrong place, here comes the pruning shears. God begins to bring things into our life. And we don't recognize them. But there they are. And we fight against those things. And those things that God brings in our life frustrates us because we don't recognize that there's a sharp blade behind the things that God's bringing into our life to change us. He changes us on the inside. The love of God, we read, is shed abroad in our hearts and the Spirit has given us. But if we're not loving one another the way Jesus loved us, here comes that sharp blade. And no one is immune to that process. No one has arrived. When we are converted, it says that he's going to prune us to bear more fruit. Well, why? What's the matter with just a little fruit? And this is my God, Father glorified that you bear much fruit. This is the will of God. Do we want to fight against the will of God? We want things to be great. We want everything to go the way we think it should go. But it's not going to. God is going to bring us through a series of events of different sizes, shapes, and kinds to bring about His will in our life. So when we read next in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Second Corinthians three seventeen. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being changed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. And we're born of the Spirit, the Spirit of God changes us on the inside. But God's purpose is not just to change us on the inside. It is for us to live it out. To live what He's put in us, out in our life. Jesus, when He was baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit came upon Him. And he walked and he lived 
and the power and the anointing and the guidance and the will of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I am not here to do my will, but the will of the Father who sent me. We are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. He's changing us. It says, being transformed. That's a present tense. We are being changed. We were changed on the inside. He gave us a new nature when we're born of the Spirit, when we believe the Gospel. When we make that decision to follow Christ, we were changed. But now it says we are being changed. But we all are being transformed, being changed by the Spirit of the Lord. And how are we being changed? How is the form of a tree changed to bear more fruit? Through pruning. That is what the farmer does. Because that's what the farmer wants. He wants larger fruit, better quality fruit. He wants for him. And the Father is the caretaker of the vine. And Jesus says, He is the vine, and we are the branches. We abide in Him, we remain in Him. And as we remain in Him, don't think it's strange, this process He's putting us through. Because many times we can get discouraged and confused and frustrated by the very thing that God is using to change and to transform us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is His will. And to bear the fruit of the Spirit of His Son. Understanding the Christian life is very important to being a victorious Christian. Understanding it. And then submitting to it is also necessary. In verse 7 of chapter 4, the next chapter, as Paul is talking on, he says, in verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Old King James says jars of clay. That means the, the flawed human body. We have the treasure of God's Spirit put in this flawed body. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. <clears throat> Always carrying about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. This painful process is the pruning that Jesus was talking about. The die, always bearing and carrying about in the body, the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal bodies, so that it just won't be on the inside of us, but it will come out and we'll live it out. That will work out. Work out 
our salvation with fear and trembling. Because it is God who is working in us to do and to will of his good pleasure. God is at work in us to do his will. But if we don't understand what God is doing, we can be fighting him. We can be fighting with God. How do we fight with God? If we listen to the flesh. If we're self-willed. If we're doing our own thing. I know that God wants me to do this, but. I know I should be doing this, but. I know the Bible says this, but. We've heard the word of God. God has a call on our life. We may be fighting with God. And that's a difficult thing. Fighting with God. And there are people fighting with God. They're angry with God. They're frustrating with Him. They're confused. They don't understand Him. All these other things. That's not resting in Him. It's not. The Bible says, We who believe do enter God's rest. There is a rest for a people of God. That rest comes through putting our faith in Him and what He's bringing us through. We can bring a lot of trouble on ourselves, of course, by walking in the flesh. But we can say, well... I'm trying to do what's right, and I'm, I'm following the Lord and everything else, but there's still all this stuff going on. Okay. When we're doing what's right, that's great. We're following the leading of the Spirit, that's great. But He wants us to follow Him more. And He wants us to be more like Jesus, because we can all say and agree with one thing. For following Jesus... We're not doing it to the perfection of Jesus. That means there's room to grow, to bear better fruit than we're bearing, to be bear more fruit, to be more fruitful. Is there anybody who's who here can say, "I've arrived and there's, I've been bearing as much fruit as possible, and I'm walking just like Jesus, and I'm walking in the same perfection as Jesus." I think if we can say no, not really to that then we understand that there's need for more pruning. And so if we're doing what's right, but yet God is bringing events into our life and whatever they may be of different sizes and shapes and forms, let's not be frustrated or disillusioned or, or, or confused in any way because there's more. More fruit, better fruit. To be transformed from glory to glory into the image, beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord, being changed into the same image. What image? The image of Jesus. Jesus said, Love one another as I have loved you. No greater love is this that a man lays down his life for his friends. Jesus is wanting us to love one another just as He loved us. And He loved us by giving Himself, lay down His life for us. 
We call it a laying down of ourselves kind of love. Not the love of the world. Not the natural love. But loving those who don't deserve it. Loving when it gets into our schedule. Messes with what we want to do. That we have to uh, put others before ourselves. Like it says in Philippians. We should think of others more highly than ourselves. Putting others before ourselves and esteeming others more highly than ourselves. Jesus did that. How inconvenient was it for him to get down off of his throne and come as a form of a baby and grow up and be tempted in all ways like us? Yet without sin? And all that he went through for three and a half years of ministry and all the people that spoke against him, hated him, plotted against him, tried to kill him, and finally they succeeded and crucified him and spent three days in the heart of the earth before he rose from the dead. What benefit was that of his? Was he doing that for him? You see, all that he did was inconvenient. All that was putting others before himself. The sacrifice of himself. Not just on the cross, but everything leading up to it. Until his resurrection. His life was a sacrifice. A sacrificial life. That's what this pruning is all about. It's inconvenient. It's painful. It hurts. Oh, no. I I thought you were going to say something. No, no, no. Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God, of course, is in Matthew 13, is like a man who finds a treasure in a field. And he sells everything he has to buy that field. Jesus says of his disciples that we must forsake all, follow him. But what if we're holding back from forsaking all? What are we holding something back? I'm willing to sell all as the man who bought the treasure in the field. We're holding back in some areas. Here comes that sharp blade. What does it look like? We have to each of us has to come to a point of seeking God and understanding it for ourselves. Because many of the things that it might be is things that we actually um, are frustrated about in our life. Are angry about. And maybe even angry with God about. But His purpose is to make us like Him. And the way we live, not just shed abroad in our hearts, but that love that He put in our hearts comes out. In a changed heart, a changed attitude. The attitude of Christ. Let the same attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus, we read in Philippians. Are we living out the attitude of Christ? 
We're putting others before ourselves. A sacrificial life of others are, and, and their well-being and their uh, welfare are more important than our own. It does not agree with the modern spirit. It does not agree with the environment that we grew up in in this world. And so God is deprogramming us from what we breathed in as we were growing up. The way of the world. It's insidious. It, 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 it seeps in without us realizing it. The way of the world. The way of the flesh. The way of the enemy. And so God is in the process of changing us in the way we live. It's in our hearts if we're in Christ. Now he says, work it out, live it out. I don't want to do that. Okay. It comes that knife. It comes that pruning that pruning uh, shears. A sharp blade that we, do, that we don't want is going to happen. Whether we like it or not. It's going to happen to all of us. Every branch, not some of the branches, every branch in me that bear, bears fruit. He prunes it that it bears more fruit. And we know from natural study that pruning is painful to the recipient of it. But without Him, we can do nothing. So as we're being pruned, don't be discouraged. Continue in Him. Abide in Him. And let that fruit be born that is the will of God and God is glorified in. This is how men shall know that we're his disciples because of our love for one another. That testimony of the Christian happens through the process that he puts us through. Um, I think that's 